Screaming Queens is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag. What do you want? Screaming Queens. Listen, I am two seconds away from calling the police. Screaming Queens Horror Podcast. What do you want? Screaming Queen's Horror Podcast to your death! Something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Give me those shoes, they're mine, give them back to me! Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. He rubs the lotion on its skin, or else gets the hose again. What have you done to its eyes? I see no manhood between your legs. You're going to need death now! <laughs> the living dead! They're coming to get you, Barbara. Get away from her, you bitch! It was an asylum! And it was hell! Twenty years of pure hell! The devil wins sometimes. What's that like to live deliciously? They're here. They're all gonna laugh at you! To a new world of gods and monsters. Hello, and welcome back to Screaming Queens, the queer horror podcast. Today, I'm very, very excited because I'm joined by one of my OG Screaming Queens, Mr... Is it Mr? <laughs> I just thought. It depends um, on the day of the week. The day of the week. Uh, Mr. Miss Ms. Undecided. Stephen Moore. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. Hello. How the fuck have you been? I haven't spoken to you on here for ages. Uh, I've been great. It's, it's, you know, it's lovely. There's so much to do. You know, I'm going <laughs> shopping. I'm going out clubbing. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Oh, you know? me too. I've been on holiday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been to the sauna. (laughs) (laughs) It's just been great. It's been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I haven't just been sat with the cat for like weeks on end. (laughs) Yes. No, no. And I haven't become addicted to online yoga (laughs) at all. I just thought you were going to say porn and I was going to say there's nothing new there. (laughs) Well, that was before. That was before (laughs) lockdown. Um, (laughs) uh, So the deal is, so usually uh, before lockdown, obviously us boys would meet up together mm-hmm. and it was all f- fine and dandy. And then through throughout lockdown, I've been using this lovely Zencaster software to talk to the boys and talk to guests and stuff. But I found that there's been more and more, there have been more and more issues with software and stuff when I've been trying to get like three or four people together at once. So what I'm trying to do is just just streamline it out a little bit and have one-on-ones and hopefully that will make things go a little bit smoother until we can all sort of get back together. Yeah, and I'm your favourite, even though I'm you went s- with uh, Martin first. Yes. But, you know, whatever. Yes, yes. Well no, I was saving I was saving the uh, I was saving the best for last. That's oh, what yeah, I was okay. saving. Of late I've been talking about a lot of old sort of British stuff, um old Italian stuff. And we haven't really delved into the nineties in a while. And my go to nineties horror queen is obviously Stephen Moore. So I thought I'd sort of throw the gauntlet down to Stephen and say, What do you want to talk about? Um and Stephen, you 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 came up with a lovely little idea, didn't you? Yeah. So Shall I intro us in? Yeah, you go for it, yeah. You're you're okay. top today. I'm a dom top. Dominique top. <laughs> Dominique. <laughs> or as Martin um, likes to call himself a Diamondique top. <laughs> go on. Uh, I'm also, yeah, I'm mask for mask and goth for goth. Yeah, oh, of course, yes. So, 
John, have you heard the story of two podcasters recording in separate locations during lockdown? Ah, no, go on, tell me. <laughs> well, the podcast is going great as always. It's amazing how funny and pretty the guy doing the intro is. And his co-host is perfectly average in his supporting role. As they discuss murderers, cum-guzzling and hamsters up butts, they feel a strange <laughs> presence, but assume it's indigestion from Pop Rocks, Pepsi and Spider Egg flavoured chewing gum. The Alexa suddenly turns on. The theme from Dawson Creek blasts loud. They scream in terror at the saccharine 90s nostalgia. And as they go to leave their homes, they find their dog has been microwaved for three minutes and then left to rest for one minute, which is weird because neither of them have a dog. Perhaps <laughs> perhaps this has something to do with the person they killed last summer. But before they can process, suddenly a scream from inside the house. The host emerges from John's closet, a place he thought he'd left when he was 19. The podcast was coming from inside the house. John was killed with a limp wrist hook, and his body wasn't found till the cat had ate half his face, which is weird because he didn't have a cat either. <laughs> no, so you haven't heard this, John? No, no, no? definitely Well, haven't. tonight we're discussing 1998 Urban Legend. I This was one of the first, probably one of the first 18 rated films that I saw on the cinema. Oh, really? Mm, yeah. Um, but I was 17, I think, at the time. So, you know, illegal. All that. Um, terrible, terrible, yeah. terrible person. <laughs> um, how, where does Urban Legends rank in your sort of, you know, say, top 10 of 90s horror? You know what? I haven't seen this in a very long time. And I forgot how much I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's actually, it, to me, this is one of the better of those kind of um, screen spin-off-y moments. It's a, I found it a lot more enjoyable than um, I know what you did last summer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I um, just, I think it's a lot more fun. It's a bit ham-fisted at the times, but it's fun as hell. Yeah. No, it is. It is. I had a similar experience. Like I, when we watched it, I was sort of remembering it as not being that great. And then when we watched it the other night, I was like, I was, I was enjoying it a lot more than I remembered, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, we'll probably we'll get into like the screen comparisons and stuff, but uh, I think I would it's say... aged quite nicely yeah. as like a um, a kind of throwback to those times it feels like it works because it feels so scream era and i it miss does. that kind of vibe <laughs> it does yeah um so urban legend stars um i've made a list so when this film starts and the the cast list's coming up it's like every every other name you're like oh my god he's in this she's in this yeah. it's one of those sort of who's who and what's left of the 90s um so you got uh, rebecca gay hart who, who is from jawbreaker but Which I I've never think, seen. What? I've never seen Jawbreaker. It's so good. Yeah. You need to watch that. Sort that out. But I always get it mixed up with Claire Karma from, you know, who plays Glory and Buffy. Oh, and Claire in, Kramer. Yeah. I always yeah. get it mixed up with her. I'm convinced it's the same person, but apparently it's not. It's the curly hair and the maniacal stare. Yeah. That rhymed. 
That was um, <laughs> so stars Rebecca Gayhart, who I remembered from Beverly Hills 90210. Okay. Alicia Witt, who I remembered from Sybil. She played Sybil Shepherd's daughter in Sybil, the sitcom. And then she was also in Twin Peaks as well. Uh, it also stars Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek. Uh, the uh, wonderful... My husband. Well, yeah, there's something. Yeah, anyway, we'll talk about that. Robert Englund. Obviously, horror icon, Freddy Krueger. Danielle Harris, horror icon. She was Janie Lloyd in Nightmare on Elm uh, in Halloween 4 and 5. Brad Dourif, horror icon, voice of Chucky. Um, Shut up with it. Yeah, so he's the gas station attendant at the start. Oh, my God, yeah. Lovely, lovely Brad Dourif. I've seen interviews with him, and I'm convinced that he's the most gorgeous, lovely person to meet, and I'm, yeah. I'm dying to meet him, although he just turned 71 today. So Brad Dourif. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum, who I recognise from something, but I couldn't remember what. Tara <laughs> Reid, who's from American Pie and Icon. sort of hot mess of tabloids and ends up in the Sharknado series. <laughs> and um, to round out all of the familiar faces, oh, Loretta Devine is in it and she was A from... Dream Girls original. Dream Girls? Is, is that... Oh, I didn't realise. She originated one of the roles in Dream Girls. On That's Broadway. amazing. I know her from Waiting to Exhale. And also, as the Dean, John Neville, who I recognise from The X-Files. It's a really strong cast. It's a very strong cast. Music by Christopher Young, who gave us my favourite ever horror soundtrack, which was Hellraiser. Nice. Um, and it is uh, written by... Oh, God, I forgot the, like, the, main, the most famous name in the film. And also starring Jared Leto. Oh, yeah. Written by Silvio Hirato and directed by Jamie Banks. It's a very simple plot to read. There's a series of murders on campus um, that are all somehow linked to famous urban legends and the mythology that becomes with that, which they just so happen to be studying as well in uni- university because that's a course that you can take. <laughs> <It's> um, only... <laughs> so as the two start to it becomes more and more apparent that these murders are definitely linked to the urban legends, despite what the principal and lecturers and uh, rent a cop has to say about it. And then it obviously ends in a massive party and lots of murder. Last week we discussed folklore. Today we get more specific. This is what we call an urban legend. Contemporary folklore passed on as a true story. Something you might have heard about mixing pop rocks and soda? Supposedly, your stomach and your intestines burst. Voila, still alive. Mr. Frost, please. He's gonna explode! Somebody call 911! <laughs> so the opening yeah. begins with um, a near car crash. And the, oh yeah, as the girl is l- l- trying to reach backwards for her tape, which is a bit retro. Um, and she goes to put it on and she nearly crashes the car and then she finally puts on her song and it's Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse to Heart. A really great choice, Camp, Camp is for. And yeah. uh, the character's called Michelle Mancini. Um, and I've meant to do my research on this and I forgot, but there's a character in Melrose Place called Michael Mancini that was, a bit of, that was out just before this, so um. I wonder if the writer is a fan of Melrose Place, which is my favourite soap, very possibly. 
given that, that the compass of the of the script. <laughs> <laughs> definitely so yeah so this for me this is this is the strongest bit of the film for me and i don't mean like it goes downhill and it's terrible after it but i feel like this is the best pure horror moment what a great film. intro like yeah from start to finish of this yeah i love that she's singing the um the song really really badly as well yes of course and she gets the words wrong but then turns it into a backing song goes just like <laughs> I'm a late girl. Yeah, we've all been there. So she's driving back to campus, isn't she, through a sort on a dark and stormy night, thunder, rain, all that sort of stuff. And then she starts to run out of petrol, so has to stop at a, a creepy gas station in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Can I just say it really bothers me that Americans don't put their own petrol in or gas? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. The attendant at the gas station is the lovely Brad Dourif who's our horror staple, first horror staple of the film. And um, so, yeah, we know him as the voice of Chucky. He was in The Exorcist 3. And he was also in a camp classic that Stephen used to haven't seen. And it's called The Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. I've and it's Faye Dunaway in an American Jallo type film, where mm. she's a fashion photographer who starts to have psychic visions of murders. It's, and she just overacts the whole time, but in the best way. It's just a fabulous film. And he, anyway, he plays her driver in that film, who's like a suspect to whether he's the killer or not. And um, yeah, he's lovely. He's a great actor. So, um, uh, so yeah, the gas station attendant says there's a problem with Michelle's credit card. So he's sort of trying to get her out, her out of the car. She obviously assumes he's a psycho trying to get her out of the car because he has a stammer. <laughs> <laughs> we're in that lovely territory aren't we of the 90s of if you've got any kind of uh, disability then you must be a psychopath um, I mean obviously <laughs> so uh, he can't quite get his words out we don't really know what's going on uh, but and he's very very intense to be fair um, yeah. and then when he gets, I mean for a good reason <laughs> he will, but it turns out there is a good reason so he, he gets her back into the into the gas station office and she realises there's nobody, the credit card company aren't waiting to speak to her on the phone and he locks the door and she thinks that he is trying to attack her so she sort of sprays an aerosol in his eyes <laughs> and mm. smashes a window climbs out, all of this is really well directed, it's a great horror chase scene it's great. Straight and away. you know what I think the best bit of it is, is that you know what he's trying to say, but like because they did give him a stutter, which was a lazy thing um, in terms of that side yeah. of things, but in terms of suspense of you know he's trying to say something to her and he's actually a good guy, but he can't quite get it out. That's great yeah. suspense. Yeah, completely. It's great suspense. And then, so she get, manages to escape, get in the car, drives off, and runs him over. <laughs> yeah. And then he sort of gets up off his knees, doesn't he, in the rain and screams, there's somebody in the back seat, or there's somebody yeah. in the back of the car. Great. So the whole time he was trying to warn her, and then she puts the she puts the radio back on, and Bonnie Tyler is singing, turn around, when we're all screaming at the screen, turn around, because there's an axe man in the back of the, in the, back of the car. Brilliant. I feel like... Um... I'm quite surprised that that song hasn't been used in like a more modern horror film, but like, um, you know, slowed down, weird cover of it. Turn around, yeah. Like, um, you know what they did with Five on it in Us? I feel like totally. that could happen with this song. Also, it would have fit really well with that Strangers sequel, wouldn't it? Because that has a lot of 80s tunes in it. Yeah, I think so. I think it was, not it? 
Oh, was it? Maybe it was. Oh, hang on. Did they use the same effect in that? Was that the pool scene? I think that's the pool scene. Ah, there we go. There we go. Um, that's how much of an impact The Strangers Pray at Night made on me. Um, that film is amazing, sure. Oh, no. Um, so, anyway, Axe flies through the air, chops off Michelle's head, but we don't, you know, it's sort of, we don't see the head come off, but we see the axe come through the window and there's blood splattered. In the splattered. most weird angle ever. That is completely impossible. <laughs> yes, completely. Um, and then we're at Pendleton University. So one of the strong points, I think, of this film is the locations that they use. Yeah. Yeah. So the university is actually, the uni- I think it's the University of Toronto. Yeah, I think so. Use. It's used in a couple of films as well. It's got that gothic vibe to it, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, it was uh, it was used in The Incredible Hulk in 2008 as well. Um, so it's supposed to be a New England college called Stanley Hall in New Hampshire. But, mm-hmm. uh, it's, yeah, so it's the University of Toronto and it's this big, huge gothic campus building which is used to great effect throughout the film, I think. Yeah, definitely. And we cut straight to, so on the Stark and Stormy Night, we meet Tara Reid's character, Sasha, who's a, she's like campus radio host. Oh God, I hate, hate, hate American radio hosts. <laughs> Why? I just, there's just something about the way they talk it just really irritates me. And then the way she's walking around the, um, the studio, like not near the mic, just irritates me. <laughs> Yeah, I get. I just get the vibe that that was a case of like, uh, it's too static for you to be sat there, so you should walk around while you're delivering the, the lines. She was playing, you know, like the cool men yeah. shock jock vibe. Yeah. I mean, and in all fairness, I think it's a funny sequence. Yeah, but oh god, I hate it. And she's given um, she gives uh, sex advice, doesn't she? So she's like an agony aunt type thing, but yeah. she does like you know edgy uh, sex sex problems. And it's a girl, spit it out, Felicia. So it's a girl who is... Who's, <laughs> so first of all, the girl's called Felicia and she's talking about Felicia, so that's always fun. And she's horrified because she accidentally swallowed jizz when she was giving someone a BJ. Yeah. I mean, if I had a penny. <laughs> accidentally? <laughs> oh, well, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I like no. the way she said, she, oh, did you swallow a frat boy's protein shake? Like, yeah. Beautiful imagery, I love it. I know, that's like porn. <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> first of all i'm i'm glad to, i approve of your um sexual practices because the world's not ready for you to reproduce so but these I'm, are our first um well some of our first casual instances of um urban legends kind of phone because there's a caller that talks about the birth control pills being swapped with baby aspirin of course yeah and then there's an, um this one is obviously she talks about what if she should get a stomach pumped, you know, ergo the classic. Um, well, I know it is Marilyn Manson, but and it wasn't Marilyn Manson. Who was it? That um, uh, who, had to have, who had to have the stomach pump because of all the jizz? Yeah, who else that in the eighties? It was ah. Uh, oh. Marilyn Manson was the rape removed. <laughs> well, well, these people said that about Prince as well. Yeah, they said Prince had the rape removed so he could suck his own dick as well. Um, I think the stomach was pump... it Steve Strain? No, no, it was, it was Mark Harmond. That's it, Mark, Mark Harmond. Mark Harmond was supposed to have, have had orgies with dwarfs and every walk of life, and yeah, he ingested so much just that he had to have a stomach pump. 
I mean, you know, goals. Yeah. Um, so we've got, yeah, so this is on the radio. Also, I love uh, Tara Reid giving the microphone a sort of blowjob <laughs> as she talks as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Which, yeah, completely, yeah, on brand. And um, so whilst this is happening, we then cut to, like, the students' hall, you know, the student, like, a local campus cafe where mm-hmm. some of our characters are sat around. And we've got Natalie. Who's, who have we got here? We've got Parker. Natalie and Brenda. And Parker's like the frat boy type, Jock. Yeah. Who's just not hot enough, really. It's, it's just a non-entity for me because I don't I don't find them interesting. Probably because he's not hot enough, you're right. Yeah, he's just not hot enough. And he's really annoying as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing that usual annoying sort of edgy character thing. You know, there's always a character from this period who's sort of edgy and tells a story and, and does it in a very OTT annoying way, like Stu did it in Scream. Yeah, this is very. Um, this is a major screen parallel scene. Yeah, like this could be lifted. The, the, the way the dialogue is written and delivered is straight out of screen. Yeah, so uh, so he's talking about a, a massacre at his at an old frat house on campus, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got Natalie. So Natalie's played by Alicia Wirth, and she's like, uh, you know, red haired cool sort of uh, a little bit edgy uh, and you've got Brenda who's the pretty girl played by Rebecca Gay Hart yeah. um, so they're going to be our sort of heroines for the film uh, Yeah, Parker's telling the story about the massacre um, as he's sort of freaking the girls out then in comes Paul played by Jared Leto and he's he's not so much of a jock he's a bit more of a quiet intense journalistic type of character see I always forget that Jared Leto was an actor before he was in music. Well, you to forget me, like, how he long he's been musician. around. You know, I knew him. Yeah, I knew him from music. But then when I think about it, this film came out before 30 Seconds to Mars was a thing. It did. And before this, he was in My So-Called Life. He was like the, he was like the yeah. intense alternative boy who I think was Claire Danes was in love with in, this, in My So-Called Life. And he had like floppy 90s hair and stuff. So this was his breaking into, fil- into film. But he was already really famous through TV. So yeah, he's been around. He's like Dorian Gray. He's been around forever and he doesn't seem to age. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, he comes in and he's sort of disputing the story as just being an urban legend. And uh, Brenda thinks that he's such a babe. Mm. He is kind of a babe. But did you he see is. my? Did you see? I, I just thought the whole time he looks like a young Courtney Cox. Do you think? Yeah, the, if you look oh, at Courtney yeah, Cox yeah, yeah. in the um, in the video, the Bruce Springsteen video, he looks he looks really a lot like her, um, which I thought was quite funny because he's playing a guy like the journalist. Yeah. <laughs> after this. We cut to Natalie and Brenda, and they go to the murder hall. So they go to the old abandoned frat house where this, where the massacre was supposed to have took place. Yeah, and I think they it's talk like about, Stephen Hall or something. That's um, weird. And they talk about uh, Bloody Mary, is it? Yeah, which is weird because they just randomly throw in Bloody Mary out yeah. of nowhere, which doesn't make sense with the fact by murdering narrative, but okay. Yeah. Um, and I thought Bloody Mary was supposed to have a mirror as well. Damon jumps here. out behind him there because he starts making voices as if people are screaming inside the thing and then which is impossible but then he <laughs> jumps up behind them and then we get an introduction as he's the kind of bit of a twat um jock who's always a prankster kind of vibe he's like a bleach blonde fuckboy isn't he yeah and unlike the other guy this 
one is hard enough to pull it off. Yeah, he's hard enough to pull off. So this is a uh, this is Joshua Jackson from Dawson's Creek, and this is when he had his bleach blonde hair, cruel intentions, bleach blonde hair, cruel intentions hair. Yeah, and then he went back and filmed season two of Dawson's Creek and still had a bit of the blonde hair. I remember that when that was on screen. Um, so yeah, Joshua Jackson. This is where we meet him, and then um, so that's basically most of the cast that we've met, and then. Yeah, Brenda, uh, Natalie heads back to her halls of residence where she shares a room with a goth girl called Tosh. Yeah. Who is always getting shagged really loudly whenever she gets back to her room. Um, I like that she turns the lights on and she's getting like doggied from behind. <laughs> she's, getting done, she's getting done from behind. And this girl is also, this, so this is Danielle Harris, who horror fans knew as Jamie, the little girl lead of uh. Halloween 4 and 5. So okay. there's an interesting thing with Danielle Harris because she was a really precocious young girl. I think she was like 10 or something when she was did Halloween 4. But she was really good. She was a really good actress. She popped up in um, Roseanne as well. She was Darlene or Becky's friend in Roseanne. Mm. She, she was a good actress, but then she never made that. She never made an easy transition from, from child star to adult star. And I think one a good example of this is... Um, she went after the role of the lead in this film. Mm. She went after the role of Natalie, but ends up being stuck with the role of Tosh, the sexy goth girl who gets shagged all the time. And I feel like that quite that sums up a lot of Danielle Harris's career. And I feel like it's a real shame because I feel like she's a really good actress, actually. And as I've been intrigued to see what she would have done as the lead in this film rather than Tosh, mm. the, the slutty goth. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, okay. We, instead, we get Alicia Witt, who I find is a bit strange, and I never quite, I never quite believe her performance. I don't think she's the best. No, she's not. And she was she, again, so she was good as a younger actress. She was in Twin Peaks. She had a very small role in that, and then she was good as Sybil, Sybil's um, daughter in in the Sybil sitcom, which was basically based on Safi from Abfab. So she was the straight laced, mortified, sardonic daughter, and she was really good at that. But here, as the sort of uh, romantic lead in the horror movie. I don't think she quite pulls that off. Um, yeah. It's one of the weaker characters for me in yeah. general in the film. Which is a shame because she's supposed to be leading the, the film as well. Mm-hmm. So she, uh, yeah, so we get the impression that she's used to seeing, to walking in on Tosh getting shagged a lot. So she, she goes to her usual routine where she puts her earphones in and blasts some like angsty 90s lesbian rock. Which is um, important. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so she can fall asleep and not have to hear the sex going on in the next bed. So then we um, cut to the one of the lectures that we see, and it's Robert England. Yes, we meet Robert England, the amazing horror icon that we know as Freddy Krueger, playing Professor Wexler, and he's given a lecture on urban legends. So he's talking about the babysitter and the man upstairs legends, isn't he? The calls coming from inside the house and... Um, He's, you know, talking about the the uh, origins of that, how it was all a big message for, like, you know, young women, mind your children, or harm will come your way, that sort of stuff. I liked that um, they, they kind of did a little bit of analysis into it because, you know, instead of just saying the legend, he actually discussed why the legend is kind of put there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's just got so much charisma that he, he really is just a joy to listen to. Yeah. Um, he's great. I mean, he just he could do it in his sleep, couldn't he? He's he, yeah. he likes to he really likes to sort of ham it up, but in a really good way. Um, 
so we've got our cast, our young cast, and uh, his students, and we can see they're all they're all sort of um, acting a little bit like teenagers in high school, rather than yeah. uni students, like laughing and heckling from the from the gallery. Um, and I think uh, that, I think that's how American unis are, though. They're just well, weird. I, this is this is this is what we're fed by watching nineties yeah. slashes. <laughs> um, so Professor Wexler decides to carry out an experiment, doesn't he? So he's, he he gets out a bag of pop rocks, which I think we used to have as space dust or stardust. Yeah, I think it was space dust in the UK. So that's like popping candy in a, in a little satchel and um, and a can of Pepsi. Was um, that an urban myth in the UK? Because I've I'm, never heard of this. I only ever heard of it when I saw this film. Yeah. So I think it's an American thing. Interesting fact, this is one of the first ever films to feature a blue Pepsi can. Oh? Because they've just changed it to the <laughs> classic blue. That's very, that is fascinating. I don't uh, know why I came across that, but I was like, fair play, that's interesting. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, so the urban legends is that if you drink, pep, if you take the popping candy and then drink Pepsi, your stomach will explode. So he's like, who wants to come up here and test this out? And first he gets Brenda up on stage, but she bottles out. So then obviously Damon is like the class clown, stupid jock. He's like, yeah. I'll do it, I'll do it. And then he um, he pulls a prank where he pretends that his stomach has actually exploded. Did um, he just happen to have, like, or did he make the foam himself or did he carry, like, a capsule for them to do that? <laughs> I thought he made the foam himself. Okay. Yeah. That's slightly more realistic. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so he does, like, writhing on the floor, pretends to die, and the, the sc- there's, like, big orchestral horror score playing over it, so it's leads us to think that it's really happening to him, but I think he would have to be an idiot to think that this was anything but a prank. I don't know, but that other guy, he goes, um, quick, someone call the cops, and that other lad leaves, so did he go and call the cops? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a joke. And then uh, Michelle's beheading from the opening scene hits finally hits the news, doesn't it? And we see the shockwaves ripple out across campus as we see Paul doing his gale weather's bit, trying to get the scoop. Yeah. Um, and then we see the friends sitting around talking and we see like Sasha, the radio presenter, is just like making it all about her. And she's like, I wonder if her, I wonder if my voice was the last thing that she heard <laughs> on the radio. And then Damon makes jokes about uh, her giving great head. Which is a good joke. We'll it's a good it. joke. And it also makes you think about sucking Joshua Jackson's cock. So that always Perfect. is a... No bad there. Um, and then, so we go from the sort of jokey talk about Michelle and we see that obviously Natalie, our lead, is a little bit worried that it might be something a bit more, you know, she's basically not taking it as a joke mm. the way a lot of the others are. Mm. Then we cut back to the bedroom where Tosh the Goth is on Goth for Goth dating website, please. Uh, goth for Goth is quite possibly my favourite, like, um, idea for a dating website ever in anything. <laughs> um, Normally, these like fake, um, like fake Googles or fake dating things that they put in films are just like terrible. But I think that's actually hilarious. <laughs> it is hilarious, and it just sort of it, it it takes you right back to like she's got like dial up internet, and yeah. she, and um, friend uh, Natalie's trying to use the phone line, and it's got making that sort of dial up noise over the phone and it's just like god how long ago was this film no uh and it's actually 23 years that's insane it's yeah it's crazy um so yeah it's a stark reminder of how how old this film is 
So it turns out, so we get we get a bit of hint here, a backstory, don't we? So we find out here that Natalie was actually friends with Michelle, the first victim in high school. Mm-hmm. They were captains Secretly. of the cheerleading squad, but she never really tells anyone. So I wonder oh, why, why is she keeping this a secret? There's a story here. And then mm-hmm. da- Damon calls over and, sh- and he shows us off his sensitive side. Um, Which is, it's, it's a bit weird because here he comes across as genuinely sensitive, nice guy. Yeah. And then about two minutes later, he's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we're out. Yeah. He's quite good at that, isn't he? He's sort of, he's, we, we realise a bit later on that he's feeding her a line just to basically get her knickers off. I love that um, when he goes into his car to start her up, to drive to, are they going to a party? I can't remember. Well, they're supposed to go to a party, but she's really not in the mood. So he's like, "Oh, come on, I'll take you for the drive, and I'll cheer you up." And um, he's going to drive her off to a, like a little clearing in the woods, isn't he? Instead, mm. um, go on. So yeah, and then yeah, the the car won't start, and he finally gets it to kick in, and then the dust and creaks theme starts playing. Yeah, at the radio for like a split second, but I think that is that's good humor. I oh, think totally. to be self aware in those times, it's very. This genre of 90s. Oh, yeah, completely, yeah. Um, so we realise Damon's actually a prick because he's sort of spinning a line about his dead girlfriend and we realise it's just to get Natalie to sleep with him. And um, But Natalie's not a fool that she realises straight away what he's doing. And there's a great moment. She just punches him in the face. She <laughs> on punches him in the face. With a great sound effect as well. <laughs> yeah. And then she go- he goes, um, you don't need to act like such a bitch. And she, went, she goes, trust me, it's at no act. Yeah. I was like, okay, girl. Yeah, yeah. She's, she, I think, I feel like she's better at that kind of thing than the sensitive stuff, this actress. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, okay, he's been pied. She wants to go home. But be- before that happens, he's got to go and have a piss. Mm-hmm. Um, and we follow him to the clearing. And uh, yeah, we can see him having a pee, but sadly, you can't really see what's going on below his waist. And then However, he gets taken from behind. <laughs> he gets taken from behind, and uh, I'll probably cut this out, but the sound effect of him pissing gave me a twinge. <laughs> I knew. I was like, Jordan's going to love this. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he gets uh, taken from behind, and not in the way that we'd like. And mm. um, so she's. Natalie's like, where the fuck's he gone? She gets out of the car and suddenly we get our first glimpse of the killer, don't we? Mm-hmm. And it's oh, a figure. Can we make a comment on that? Um, so the, the killer's get-up is like a big, giant trench coat with like the fair line. And... It's a parker. It's a parker, parker that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Parker, not a trench. Um, and you can't see his face, but it, I'm not sure if it's a scarf or not. But so, like, yeah. You, just, you can't quite see. First of all, we just see it's like just black, but then later on in the film, it looks like they've got like maybe a balaclava on or something. Yeah. Under the hood. Yeah, because people do get far too close for it to not be. Yeah. But the reason why this is the costume is because this film was meant to be set during the winter. Ah, okay. And it's meant to be in the snow and everything. Uh, However, right, when they that. did the filming, it had hit summer. And rather than going through the effort of and everything, all the outside scenes into winter. They just decided to scrap all of the story elements that had to do with the winter. Right, I so see. it's all taken out of the script. Um... But they didn't change the outfit, which now leaves us with 
not only the killer, but other people walking around in the middle of the summer when it's quite blatantly hot, wearing a full parka zipped you know up what? to the top. I never even noticed. I mean, there's a moment later with the parka, which yeah. is just the most ridiculously ridiculous, terrible moment ever. And when you think about what time of year it is as well, yeah. it does not yeah. work. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if that had happened, if they had stuck to the winter thing, a lot of those scenes later on where they're running through the woods and stuff, they would have been running through snow. It would have given it a very, uh, a, 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 quite a distinctive look, this it film. It could have become a um, Christmas film. Well, it would have been, I mean, it would have had lots of crossovers with Black Christmas, wouldn't it, as well? Yeah. Because of the gothic frat house and all that sort of stuff. So what do you think of the Parker as the outfit for the killer? In terms um, of, like, if you line it up with, like, the mask and scream, Michael Myers, Jason, the, 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 the fisherman, and I know what he did last summer. What's I mean, I'll give it that it's like it's a realistic costume yeah. to have, and it's very good at like nondescriptness hiding. Literally, everyone has a coat like that, so yeah. it works. But I don't think it's very iconic. Yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't think of it as an iconic serial killer slasher look. Um, but yeah, no, it does work. It does work. So. We get our first glimpse of the killer full on and the killer comes storming towards Natalie. So she she jumps back in the car. She tries to get it started. And then we see that the killer has hooked a rope around the the, uh, the back of the car, the tail of the car. And the other end is a noose around poor Damon's neck. So if she drives off, it'll hang him over the tree, basically. And um, that's what happens. So she, she steps on the gas and she's trying to get away. And the more she does it, the more Damon is hoisted up in the air and strangled, so he, she essentially kills him. Which is um, really good. It's good, yeah. It's a great death scene. It's a great slasher moment. Um, and then he, uh, she could she could hear his feet on the roof of the car, which harks back to that famous urban legend, doesn't it? Yeah. So do you know that urban legend, Stephen? Uh, it's direct one, because there's kind of two that are similar, isn't there? There's the one with the man's, the killer's on the roof, and then there's one with the person like literally this scene yeah yeah and the boyfriend's tied to this roof isn't it yeah sorry tied to the tree above the roof that's right yeah so she tries to get away but she doesn't realize it's his feet that he's hanging there um i heard that urban legend when i was very young and it terrified me really is that yeah. is that like the one that probably scares you the Possibly. I think The Killer in the Backseat is a good one, but there's one that they haven't actually done, isn't there, in this there's film? There's one, it? my favourite one is not done in this. Is it in this? I've never seen the sequels. I know, neither have I. My favourite one is that, um, the one where the woman has a dog and she goes oh, to yeah. sleep at night and she dangles her hand off the end of the bed every night yeah. to the dog licks it to see it's okay. Yeah. And then when she wakes up in the morning, after hearing a strange noise, she wakes up in the morning and the dog's dead. And written in the dog's blood is um, humans can lick hands too. That's great. Ooh. I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, my my favourite one is um, the one about the killer, the escaped lunatic with a hook for a hand. And the woman, um, there's like a woman driving home and she hears about it on the radio. And uh, I can't remember the, all the details, but basically the ending is really creepy and it's that she gets out of the car and finds that the back seat, the back car, the back door of the car is open, and there's a hook hanging out of the door. Yeah. So he was in their car the whole time. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember I f- which one it is. I find that one really creepy. 
Um, but yeah, so the sequels, there are sequels, which I'm going to talk to Andy Roberts about separately and splice in here mm. because he's written a, he's written the liner notes for the Urban Legends box set that's coming out in April. So he'll yeah. probably know a bit more about the sequels, but I did wonder whether they might delve into more of those legends in the, in the follow-ups to this one. Yeah. Um, There's plenty so, of good ones to go through, isn't there? So. Oh, totally, yeah. So then, yeah, so Damon falls from the tree and land, his body lands on the bonnet of the car. And then, she, so she's terrified, but the killer's gone. And then we cut to Reese, who is the campus watching security. Foxy Brown, Pam Greer. Coffee. She's watching coffee. Is it coffee? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Coffee, you can tell coffee because the afro is a little bit smaller. Um, so she's watching Coffee Pam Greer, and she is like, you know, our tokenistic stereotype black character, but she's quite likable at the same time. Um, it, and she's I a great actress. character's seriously weird, because, like, I would say for, like, half the film, she's pretty much a bad person, but she's a bad little campus cop person. Mm. And then she has, like, this really big redeeming thing, and then she's really likable. Well, she is, and she sort of saves the day towards the end as well. Yeah, she has too much um, personality to be unlikable, even when she's being like completely um, incompetent in a yeah. job. <laughs> she's such a likable actress, though. Have you seen Waiting to Exile? No. She's the most likable character in that. She's really great. That's like a buddy chick film, but it's four black ladies, and she's one of them. Um, yeah, she's great. So she, yeah, so we cut to her watching Coffee, and she's reciting the lines and all that. Um and uh, does it, is it Natalie comes running to her for help? Yeah, um, and they go back to find the body, but when they go back, the body in the car is gone. Yeah. Uh, Gotta go and get repositioned for the, the finale. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Parker, the jock boy, is sure that it's all a big prank, and he's like, you know, this is what, this is what Damon does. Uh, and he says he's gone on a snowboarder trip, he's not really dead. But obviously, Natalie isn't convinced. And Parker has the great funny line of saying it's the only way a girl would ever say he was hung. Yeah. <laughs> I like when he says that he, he told a girl that he was the middle handsome brother. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, so this is the moment where it dawns on Natalie in a really, really terrible... <laughs> so bad. Terrible. So bad. <laughs> terrible. I mean, the line... The dialogue is pretty bad, but her delivery makes it even worse, I think. So she says, wait a second, isn't there an urban legend where? <laughs> and then they get into the whole, oh my God, first there was Michelle, now Damon, maybe this is all an urban legend thing. But maybe... there's literally two. This yeah. is too soon to have this revelation that yeah. it's an urban legend killer. Yeah. So if that so that was really heavy-handed and really awful. And then I find, you know, the bit where... So Natalie then goes to the library to look up Urban Legends. And um, also, I love the library set, by the way. That's fabulous. Yeah. And um, we get Sasha checking out the Karma Sutra because, obviously, because she's the sexual one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she reads the Karma Sutra because she is the one who has sex. Hello. Then um, in that scene, though, there's the bit where he talks about... Um, What's going to happen? Are there going to be spider eggs in bubblegum? Oh, yeah. Are you going to ram a hamster up a celebrity's butt? Is that how it's going to happen next? Yeah. Um, yeah. The line is dubbed because he says bubblicious, which is a brand. Ah. So then they dub over. But if you watch his lips, he definitely says bubblicious. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> um. And then that, that the, the hamster up a celebrity's butt one is one that's very persistent, but that's always Richard Gere, isn't it? 
They always talk about Richard Gere and the, and the gerbil, yeah, or a hamster, yeah. I wonder if, like, the new kids nowadays have a different celebrity because I can't imagine they know who Richard Gere is. Yeah, Richard Gere is, yeah. It's a good question, actually, to put out there. You know, what is the Generation Z? Um, what are their urban legends? Yeah, it's got, I bet yeah, these have all just got new names. Yeah. And where the ancients, where the ancients old cronies who spoiled, who have to spoil the fun by saying, "No, we've we've heard that before about someone else." Yeah. Uh, so I like I do so yeah. The library scene sexually liberated Sasha is obviously getting the comedy throughout and all this, and it's really heavy handed and ham fisted. But there's something quite sweet about it, and I like I, how old fashioned it is. To be fair, I I really enjoy this kind of scene. I would I would have actually liked them to flick through a few more and just told them. Yeah. You know, maybe ones that didn't have to come up. Yeah. Because it was a bit on the nose that the only other one that they read was one that happened <laughs> and yeah. was the major one that happened. That's right, yeah, because they're going through the book, aren't they, of urban legends. Because I always enjoy, um, I think I've said it a few times on the podcast, but I love any scene where they go and do the research, the um, local it's newspaper just, library thing. It's heaven. It's absolute heaven where they're scrolling through all the microfilm. Yeah, I just love yeah, it. It just gives I me do. such joy. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so yeah, they go through the book, and we but we do get a little precursor that we we get a foreshadowing because this we they do flick past the you should have turned on the light, yeah, urban yeah. legends, which then happens. So um, whilst Natalie is going through <laughs> this, this also dates the film. She's going through old library tickets, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see the diamond checked out the book. <laughs> we see Tasha's back on uh, Gothy Grinder. And she's she's uh, she's looking for uh, a goth for goth playmate on her dial-up old-fashioned computer, and obviously something awful's going to happen because we've got some creepy music and we keep cutting between her and Natalie. Um, so she Tosh is attacked, isn't she? Well, she does. She writes on the thing and um, tell me what room number you're in. That's right. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Tell me what room you're in. I'll go and get ready. And then she leaves to go and put a lipstick on. And then she returns into the room and the, the killer has replied, yours. Yeah. And then he jumps out and kills her. Now, go on. this is like my favorite. This is why I actually really enjoy this film because I do love an urban legend. Mm. And I think something as classic as what room are you in? And then she reads yours and he jumps out. It's classic. It's scary. It's the kind of thing that gives you like chills. Those things, they're, they're really simple, but they're really effective. It's like on screen, isn't it? Your front porch or, yeah. um, you know, I want to know who I'm looking at. It's though it's those little things that will always work. conversation to like, Ugh. <laughs> they, they will always work. Yeah. So it's really good. And so she's attacked. And uh, obviously as the killer is like strangling her in the bed, she's making noises that could be misconstrued because she's well known for making, for having very noisy sex. Because Elvira's raising the dead in there. Sounds like Elvira's raising more than just the dead in there. So there's that bitchy girl who like has really bitchy comments about her, but we never get to know who she is. Yeah. There's a bit more. <laughs> she says another one in a minute, which is yeah. just hilarious. So then Natalie comes in. And um, she can hear Tosh struggling, but thinks that she's having sex. So she doesn't turn the light on. She just puts her discman on um, mm. and listens to what sounds like the hits of Sixpence and on the Richer. And um, she she gets in bed whilst her roommate is being strangled right next to her. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's really, I think that's a great scene. It's good. It's fun. And they did um, establish it earlier on enough that it didn't feel. Yeah, completely. Like, contrived to do it. 
So the next morning, she wakes up and opens and pulls back Tosh's uh, bed sheets. Um, and there's Tosh dead on the bed with blood. I think that a uh, stereotype of oh the goth girl is just slithering wrist kills self. I felt like that was a bit on the nose, and I'm not sure it needed to be a goth yeah. girl for this to work. I know, I know. Do we think she had to stammer too? <laughs> it was, uh, it was a very different time, and I don't think it, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's just so strange. Um, so she's yeah, so she's dead, and on the wall is scrawled in her blood. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? So Another that's a great little. Yeah. Um, so she's carried out. The body is carried out of halls, and then the bitchy Blood. girl who calls it Elvira then says, "You better check her pulse. She's looked like that for years." <laughs> the what attitude. A, there's no need. The girl is dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like this attitude that the uh, quote unquote normal people have got towards goths. It's just hilarious. It's like, is this film only twenty odd years old? <laughs> it could be because it feels older. Insane. <laughs> There's like there's loads of films though, I think, from the late nineties to the to the mid noughties. Uh, it was like, remember when we watched The Skeleton Key? Um, yeah. and there were moments in that where I was like, Are we are you sure this wasn't like the seventies or something? Because yeah. the attitudes have changed so much since just then, which isn't that long ago. It's like at this point they were almost like <laughs> But we're making the joke about it. We're not being serious about it like they were in the 70s. We're just, like, laughing at it. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's still bad. Yeah, yeah, totally. We thought uh, we were, like, very woke back then. <laughs> a good way to give yourself some perspective on everything and on the big picture is that the stuff that we say now that is acceptable, in 20 years' time, it will not be. people are going to be looking back at what we're saying now and going, oh, can't believe because language... And attitudes are constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. So that's my, why. My biggest thing in the world, I love going through my um, Facebook memories yeah. and just thinking, like, you know, it goes 10 years ago on Facebook, you said this, and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm like, delete. Exactly. <laughs> Don't need that in my life. I can't believe yeah. I would say something like that. And it's just because times did change. Times are different. Yeah. Yeah. We're and always changing. Films right? like this, they kind of encapsulate that these things were commonplace in films. Yeah. And yeah. Which is why you shouldn't get so hung up, you know what I mean? It's good to look back and laugh and gasp and cringe because um, yeah. that's part of the fun of watching them as well, you know. Teachable um, moments. <laughs> um, so Paul and Natalie decide to do some digging around about Professor Wexler. Yes. Always fun. Always fun to do a, a bit more research, dig around. And, um, and of course, he's got a secret room. He's got a secret room and they want to know more about this campus massacre that allegedly happened in the 70s because they think that there might be some link to that and the killings that are happening now. And of course, they also re-remind us here that the Stanley Hall massacre party is tonight. That's right, yeah. Which means culmination. (laughs) Of course, of course. Um, So, you know, when they break into Wexler's room and they see the axe Mm -hmm. and the parker hanging up, did you notice the pair of red frilly knickers? No. There are a pair of red frilly knickers hanging next to the axe. Oh, that's cute. I hope he's wearing them. I know, I know. Um, so they, uh, yeah, so they're like, oh my God, it must be, it, you know, it must be him. But then obviously Professor Wexler comes back early and catches them and we see Robert Sandman loving to camp it up. The principal digs up the girl's past criminal record. Yeah, yeah. But um, if you go on to IMDb, there's this person who's like, you know what it is? 
default a little bit too much about this film. <laughs> because they full do a full breakdown about how the principal couldn't use this evidence because he would um things in America are expunged once you turn eighteen if you're a juvenile and therefore he would have had to actively seek it, which then would have got him fired if he then used it to expose her. Uh, so this is a completely unrealistic scene and I was like, All right, calm down, maybe <laughs> He sounds like he could work for the research department of Channel 4. <laughs> the amount of things I've had destroyed because towards it. Well, actually, that wouldn't happen because this, this, like, you're like, fuck off, I need a story. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so she's got this criminal record for reckless endangerment, and we're wondering, you know, what she hired. Mm-hmm. So then she goes off to see Brenda, who's swimming at the pool. <laughs> so this is like, hands down the worst moment of the whole film I think also the best moment too yeah yeah it's um so Go obviously on. Brenda is swimming in the pool um, and she's watching from above in a room um and then the door opens to the swimming pool and in walks the killer in the trench coat Park. and sorry why do we keep saying trench coat because you're thinking you're probably still thinking of I know what you did last summer yeah it is isn't it um, so the Parker, the killers in the park are walking up the length of the pool. They walk to the very end just as um, Brenda's coming to get up and she's going mad in the room above watching it. She breaks the window and that smashes that a killer turns around and unzips. And it's just another girl who's going swimming, but she wore the, the um, Parker. The, the, idea, the idea that this girl wore that Parker to walk into a hot swimming pool and then with, the stri- and with the hood up <laughs> to strip out into her into her swimming costume. It's just like you're just like, oh fuck off, come on. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's, it's so really bad. bad. It's so bad. Um but again it doesn't it doesn't make you hate the film for me anyway. It just sort of I no, found this it is quite the kind of fun that I like in a bad like film from this time like a bad moment like as you're just like oh my god yeah totally so it turns out natalie uh so natalie um tells brenda basically why she's being so intense and so stressed out over these killings and it turns out so natalie and michelle mancini uh when they were friends they pulled this prank which is another urban legend so do you want to tell the story of that legend so this is a like I think it's a frat thing, isn't it? Where um, you you drive around in your car with your lights turned off at night and wait for the first car to flash you to tell you that your lights are off. And then when you flash, the car would spin round and then ram you off the road and kill you. Um, which, Did that ever really happen? Um, I think it's happened. I don't know, because, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that I've heard that it's happened as someone copying it. Oh yeah, yeah. So someone was inspired by the legend to do it. Yeah, yeah, and then actually done it, and it's caused an accident. Then <laughs> so, if anyone was killed, I mean, it's so bizarre, isn't it? It's such yeah. a strange thing. But it's so hard to know these things are true because even now I'm like, did I actually read that, or is that someone telling me that that's yeah. happened and I don't believe them? Yeah. Um. Uh, so basically, Natalie and Michelle did this. They drove someone off the road, and now, obviously, the thinking is that the killer ha- has some link to to um to what happened there. Like he's the yeah. someone with a link to that death has come back for revenge against Natalie and the picking off people around her to get to her. You yeah. know, it's, it's revenge one hundred and one, isn't it? <clears throat> and it's um, 
Pretty handy what he did last summer. Um, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. And I like this. They, they were trying to kill the person. They, by the way, they were just chasing them. Yeah. So, so they wasn't... were just they, were, they weren't like evil, evil killers. They were just stupid teenage girls when they yeah. playing a prank. I did think then... it was a bit rich though when she was like, "I'll never forgive her for what she did." And I was like, "Bitch, like look at yourself." Yeah, and I know. She, she does kind of acknowledge it, but I was like, Mm-mm. "Yeah, yeah." But she was she was driving though, wasn't she, Michelle? Yeah. 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 Um. So then we have a um, we have a great moment, don't we? Where so she's uh, they're trying to get they're trying to tell the dean that you know Damon's gone missing. Um, he must have been murdered, and the dean has a great line where he says he's probably shacked up in a motel with a girl or a guy. Or a guy. Or a farm animal. <laughs> this is to the, um, the police woman. Um, this is, yeah, yeah. To Reese. Uh, Reese. Um, and she's, he goes, when you ever 18, it's went, not that kind of 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I love the leap as well. That it goes from girl to guy to farm animal because obviously mm. sexual deviancy like, and all that. I them with um, a guy though. Yeah. And also this just reminds me, he played gay, didn't he? And um, in Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions. And wasn't there a moment with him and Ryan Philippe where he like Ryan Philippe sort of seduces him a little bit? Yeah. It's like but, proper... and he's also um the guy, the jock in that who he's having sex with is um out of Ugly Betty. Ah right. As yeah. the lead, which I'm currently rewatching. So yeah. I was just like I also fancy him, and I fancy yeah. him. This film reminded me that I need to go and watch Cruel Intentions again for that scene. <laughs> yeah, and the scene with Ryan Philippe's bum yeah. as well. He liked yeah, to get his bum out a lot, didn't he? Um, so the Dean, yeah, so then we followed the Dean back to the car park where he where he is then killed by the killer. So this isn't an urban legend, is it, this death? I've never heard of it. So basically it's just, a, it's, it's a standard slasher death, isn't it? So the killer is under the car and slashes his Achilles tendons. Um, so he sort of ends up having to drag himself along the floor and then the killer runs him over. But uh, the car, the killer takes the car off. Do you know what? It might That might be an urban legend, you know, someone getting run over by their own car because yeah. the hand breaks off. I don't, I don't know why Americans have those big spikes in freaking car parks so you don't go the wrong way. Like, fucking hell. So you know, the, you know the group, he's 17. The, the boy boy band East 17 from the 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Brian Harvey from East 17, this happened to him. He got run over by his own car. He ran over his own head whilst trying to reach for a jack of potato. <laughs> so, true story. Sorry, he, did I hear this, actually? Uh, yeah, so he dropped a jack of potato out of his car. Was trying How to, long ago was this? I don't know. He was trying to get it. He was trying to pick it up off the road. And if the handbrake was off, so his car ran over his head. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's an urban legend. They are the legends we've all heard. Gang members drive around at night with their headlights off. And when someone goes to flash in their high beams to warn them, they kill them. The stories we've all told. A guy and a girl, and they're parked out in the woods. The guy steps out, and the girl starts to hear these scratching noises. It's her dead boyfriend hung from a tree. The tales we've all listened to. Isn't there another story about a guy with an axe hiding in a woman's back seat? My mom still checks the back seat before getting into a car. But just because it never happened doesn't mean it never will. 
decapitated body was found in her car. I knew I should have gone to NYU. This girl, she could have been any one of us. What if there is a lunatic on campus? What is he gonna do next, huh? <laughs> Maybe put spider eggs in Bubblicious? <laughs> the idea of an urban legend serial killer. It's a stretch. The call's coming from inside the house. Could it be an urban legend? <laughs> I can help you with. I want to know what's going on here. Someone out there is taking all these urban legends and making them reality. Urban legend. Have you heard the one about the microwave? So, frat house party. What were your thoughts on feeding the dog the booze? Oh, don't! I was so annoyed watching that. I was like, I was like, that's not okay. That's just not oh, okay. Why are they showing it? Oh, I know, but still. <laughs> I mean, if I'm where, that more tragic than what happens to the dog later, I was going to say worse things happen to that dog. And also, do you know what? At least the dog was drunk when the horrible thing happens to him. <laughs> Think of it that way. And also, why is it a dog? <laughs> No, no. I know. Why is there a dog? So Paul shows up to the party with the essential party night accessory, the news that the campus massacre really did happen, and Professor Wexler was the sole survivor. He gets all blue-eyed and gorgeous as he apologises for doubting her when she was saying that mm-hmm. Professor Wexler had something to do with this, and he's all gorgeous, and then she has this... Uh, so Natalie, the actress Alicia Witt, has a valiant attempt at crying acting. Doesn't mm-hmm. quite, doesn't really get there for me, but she convinces him enough to get a good snog out of it. Yeah. They have like a nice kiss, and then Brenda, Rebecca Gayhart, walks in on them yeah. kissing, and she's clearly furious because she's the one who thought Paul was a babe and she's fancied him this whole time. Um, I didn't think I, they established that they were close enough for that to be a thing. Yeah, like, I think it yeah. was one throwaway line. Reese finds... Oh, yeah. Um, slips on the blood in the professor's office so knows that something's up with the professor. Uh, there's also a jump scare off the janitor who's the kind of red herring throughout everything. And then Paul thinks we should end the party and he goes to tell Oh what's, yeah, what's the main guy? Is it Parker? Parker, yeah. He tells so, goes, to, so they stop the music, don't they? He, he stops it and he like tell go and tell them why we should end the party, and he, he explains that there's like the urban legend serial killer thing. But you know what? This this scene I think is meant to be closer to um, Scream, where they talk about how the principal's dead or whatever, yeah. and he's doing that. It kind of I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. Like that kind of part of Scream. But it really reminds me of Hocus Pocus. <laughs> because in Hocus Pocus, he gets up on stage and tries to tell everyone, go home, like go to your kids. The switch is oh, on right. the loose. It's um, been a long time, so I can't remember and that. They're here, <laughs> and, then they go, and then they're here tonight. There. And then it points into the crowd. And then um, unfortunately, it doesn't happen in this film. But then Bette Midler comes on and does a cover of I Put a Spell on You. I was just that's that that moment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this film could only benefit from a musical number from a surprise Bette Midler, I think. Yeah, if she if he pointed into the audience and then Bette Midler came up and performed the song, <laughs> <laughs> this would be perfect. Parker gets a phone call that is very very scream. Yeah. 
in the worst possible way for me. It's really. a bit on the nose. Fucking awful. And it's the killer, basically, with lots of irritating meta shit. It has um, no, like, heart, like, scheme no. does. It just feels that. like it's been thrown in as well. It feels like a, if, if the scene itself feels like a bit of a, an afterthought. I feel like You're going to die scene, tonight. Yeah. <laughs> like, this and the next kill as well, even though I do quite like the next kill, they feel, it all feels a little bit rushed in this moment yeah. for me. Um, so basically, the killer says, uh, "Have you ever heard that one about the dog with the dog in a microwave?" Yeah. Well, first of all, he thinks it's going to be the killers upstairs, but I haven't got kids. And then he yeah. goes, "No, it's the one about the the dog, the dog in the microwave." Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he yeah, so he finds that the poor dog that they were getting drunk earlier on has been roasted in the microwave and it's like splatters all over the place. It's quite looks a little bit like that moment in Gremlins. I've never seen Gremlins. Ah, right. There's a, a Gremlin gets microwaved. Um, but, um, my problem is that this guy obviously goes on and gets murdered in a second. But for the rest of the party, does nobody notice the fucking blog soap microwave and the other in the kitchen where they're probably all going to be drinking? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Well, probably, you know, that's probably quite realistic that no one would notice because they're all fucking <laughs> hammered. And it probably looks like someone just tried to warm the wrong thing up in the microwave. Like a pizza and it's exploded. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, so he, Parker, then runs upstairs um, to puke into the toilet and the killer comes in behind him. And then we get the uh, we get a, a, a reprise of earlier on with the pop and candy, but it's a bit more extreme. So it's not Pepsi that he shoves down his throat, it's drain cleaner yeah. with the pop and candy. And obviously that kills Parker, but I thought that it was a bit underwhelming because I, I probably would have quite liked to have seen like his guts actually explode. Explode, thriving rather or, than exploding. Yeah, or blood exploding out of his mouth. Or I would have liked it to have been a bit more gory and fun. To be fair, I would have been quite happy if they just drowned him in the um, toilet. I didn't need the, um, the throwback to the Pop Rocks. Yeah. When he started yeah. to drown him in the toilet, I was like, oh, that's a good death. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah. But I suppose that's not really an urban legend as yeah. the Pop Rocks is. Uh, so then Sasha is the next victim so Tara Reid are um, sexually liberated and gorgeous which stands for slag um, sexually liberated mm-hmm. and gorgeous radio host so she's on the air and then we see that the killer comes in behind her and kills her producer um, and then um, basically she sees the producer's dead and then the killer is stood at the window looking in at her, peering in at her. So she screams for help over the over the airwaves. But nobody really be- believes it's real, except obviously Natalie. Can I just say this annoys me to no end? So, A, at the party, which had a professional like DJ playing, he suddenly <laughs> stopped playing music. And just put on the radio talk show, for the local campus radio talk show in the middle of this party. Why? Why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would like this to make sense, please. <laughs> and no, then true. we get like this massive chase scene. And throughout it all, it's still playing on the radio, even though she's about 20 miles away down the street. That's why some, is it yeah. still playing? I know. That, that recorded equipment's got a really good reach. I don't even think she had a mic on her because the mic was all in the middle of the table. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I do like this. So it's funny because the chase scene is quite extended. But yeah. at the same time, it feels all a bit rushed to me. Mm. And I don't know why. I don't know whether maybe we should have seen maybe a bit more of Sasha earlier in the film because she is only in little bits of it. 
I don't think um, they give her enough, and I think yeah. she's actually really fun. Yeah, she is good. So she's chased through the building in her sexy white dress, and then she's lashed over the sides of a balcony, isn't she? Yeah. Um, she falls, and um, Natalie seems to be running through the rain forever <laughs> to get to yeah. her. Um, but she turns up just in time to see through the window as poor Sasha gets chopped up with her axe. Yeah, I like the bit where she goes to get into the lift and the axe hits the lift as the door shuts. Oh, yeah, that's really that's good. Fun. There's yeah. some good little moments to it. But I get what you mean. It does feel a bit... Mm. It's just like a little bit out of nowhere, I suppose. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So she sees it get chopped up through the window. She goes to tell Brenda and Oh, Paul... and she waves... The, the killer waves. Oh, it? the killer gives that little wave with the, with the wiggly fingers, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Natalie, Brenda and Paul drive off looking for help because they can't find Reese. they can't find any help on campus, and they stop at a gas station to use a phone, but whilst whilst Paul is off using the phone, the girls hear, um, so they hear a phone ringing in the booth. Yeah, it's the same ringtone as the professor that we heard earlier on. Professor Wexler, and there's also a terrible smell. So they open the booth and find Professor Wexler is in there dead, chopped up. Um, so they freak out and they run off and they've, they're running through the fields and Brenda falls over but Natalie doesn't realise and keeps running Yeah. until it's too late. So she finds uh, herself alone on a road and she then gets picked up and it's she's picked up by the creepy janitor who we've seen throughout the film basically looking creepy whilst he's mopping stairs and um but he's not the killer because then the killer turn the killer starts to chase them yeah because she gets worried that he is because she finds a parker in the back parker, the everybody's, and... everybody's got a parker yeah which is why it does work but no <laughs> yeah no and then the chase yeah the killer starts chasing them down the road runs them off the road um and then um so he's the janitor's out cold at the wheel mm-hmm so she sort of takes off running and ends up back at the old frat house where the massacre took place. And she can hear Brenda screaming somewhere in the house. Um, and this is the moment where we get the big reveal. So she finds Brenda laying on a bed, doesn't she? Well, no, first of all, she goes into the room. She climbs in. And as she's looking around the place, she does the dead body tour of the house and finds all the bodies oh, that have yeah. been missing, like the principal and... Uh, <coughs> Damon's and mm. someone else's body. Oh, yeah, that's our uh, Halloween moment, isn't it, basically? Where all the bodies yeah. are po- posed, waiting to be discovered, like House of Horrors style. Yeah, which is fun. I especially like Damon hanging from the um, rope in between all the chains. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, by the way, at this time as well, Reese has also decided that she's on the case. and Because yeah. she's rang the police, but the police um, didn't want to help. And she was like, well, you know, you're meant to be safe and protected us, but now... When we need you, you don't. I was like, bitch, this is you for the entire film. Yeah. <laughs> You're meant to be protecting everyone and you wouldn't. <laughs> she was too busy watching coffee. Yeah, true. And then, yes, she eventually, um, Natalie stumbles onto Brenda's body and she's dead. But Oops. she's not. She's not. <laughs> and she, she knocks it out cold. Yeah. So Brenda now has... So we have the big reveal. Brenda is actually, she's been the killer all along. Brenda now has big villain hair. So the the hair was really flat and wet like two minutes ago, but now it's massive because she's a psychopath. And um, her I eyes found, also feel like they grew. <laughs> the, the eyes are amazing. She does really good psycho acting, Rebecca Gayhart. 
Can I just say this is like standout killer energy. Like this is up there with um, the end of Scream with the way them two act at the end of that. Like the energy here is like off the charts, camp, ridiculous. I am totally here for it. I'm here for it. What I think is funny is the thing with the hair. Um, So it was actually on purpose. So basically, Rebecca Gayhart, she's got naturally curly hair because that's how she looked in uh, 90210. But throughout the film, they gave her flatter hair so they could bring the curls back when she's revealed as the killer because curly wild hair equals psychopath. (laughs) Yeah, completely. So I just think it's hilarious that that was their thinking behind the flat I hair. like that though and it does work I'm not going to like spending any shorthand but it's good shorthand it does it does uh, so I love the bit where she says I guess you could say I'm a little nutty <laughs> <laughs> she's great I love it she does the the hand wave to reference back to the hand wave earlier yeah. on which yeah. I just think is so corny like what, yeah. the, what the what is that like and um, my favourite is she reveals her motive so the motive, if I had a slideshow, which I yeah. like the preparedness. <laughs> yeah, she went to trouble. <laughs> so she made a little slideshow uh, referencing <laughs> that the man that she'd killed, uh, that had been killed the year before by Natalie and Michelle, was um, in fact her boyfriend who she was going to be marrying after, um, yeah. after the graduation. Yeah. And then she's like, go on, what is it? What's going on? And she goes, oh my God. David and she goes ding ding ding. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, any bells ringing? And then she goes, David, ding ding ding. And I was just like, genius. She's really good. So She's well really, she really goes for it. So she has a great line. Do you want? Don't you want to be an urban legend? All your friends are now. <laughs> uh, so she's got to get revenge by carrying out the kidney heist urban legends, which is the classic urban legends about the guy who goes home with a girl. Uh, has sex, wakes up in, in an ice cold bath, surrounded by ice, doesn't he? And yeah. his, 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 um, his kidney's gone. So that's what she's going to do to Natalie to get revenge. But yeah. then we get Paul and Officer Reese to the rescue. So Paul tries to play cute, like he's um, going to flirt. Yeah. And then he's in on her. And um, <laughs> she goes, You're cute, but you're not that cute. <laughs> As she blocks what he's doing, which is great. Yeah, and definitely. then uh, Reese shows up with a gun ready to shoot her. She steals the gun off her and shoots Reese, and Reese is left bleeding out on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. Um, oh, sorry. I've also missed one of my other um, favorite lines that she has. Brenda has. Uh, she goes. She says something about therapy, and then she goes, "I've already tried therapy. It obviously never helped." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's great, and uh, so she, so yeah. When Paul tries tries it on, with, tries to talk around, we look. It looks like Brenda might be falling for it, but she she doesn't. And basically, she gives them the option of who's going to die first. And she has the, she has the gun pointed at them, and she Genius. goes, "Eeny, meeny, miny." But then the gunshot rings out, and we see Reese's is dead, and she says, "Mo." <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So Brenda runs at um, Natalie like a screaming, wailing banshee, and Natalie does. That, is it Natalie who pulls the trigger for the last shot? Yeah, yeah, shoots her out the window, and she goes flying. So Brenda goes flying out the window, 
Um, but obviously, it's that's not the end, and uh, we see sort of Paul and Natalie driving through the rain. Well, they go, we'll go and get your help to, yeah. um, to Paul. Reese is bleeding out, and, and then they're driving off down the street, and they're like, oh, don't worry, Reese will be fine. The ambulance is on the way. But they haven't gone back to, like, you know, stem a bleeding or anything. They're just driving off into the distance for some reason. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, so then, but obviously it's not the end. Brenda is stowed away in the back of the car with an axe. Uh, and she's sort of, they, they have a big fight with the axe, but obviously the car runs off the road. It goes into a bridge, doesn't it? Crashes onto a bridge. Yeah, because they're discussing Brett. how this would be an urban legend. That's right, yeah. And yeah. you'll be a cop and Brenda will be a man and I'll be... Spend the rest of my life in an insane asylum. Yeah. Um, but and he goes, Where's but what will be the twist? Um, like there wasn't just a big massive twist two seconds ago. Yeah. And, and up, up she pops. Yeah. And then he crashes into the yeah. bridge and her body flies off into the water. Yeah. Um so that's that. She's gone, and then we may then there's like a little epilogue, isn't there, of people further on from the, from now telling that story as if it was an urban legend. Can we just discuss the styling of the people telling the urban legend yeah. at the end? Yeah, what, what the, the hell? hell? What, what is that? It's like they were like, so now we need to go into the future. But the um, future like, looks like the 50s mixed with the 90s, mixed with... But there was, the, one of the girls had like knee-high, um, like pearlescent, like green um, pop socks on. Which felt very two thousand, so I'll give them that. Yeah, they were ahead on the trend there, but the rest of it was just all over the fucking place. It was very strange that everybody in it, in that scene, looked like someone who had gone for a main role but weren't pretty enough to get it. Yeah, yeah. they didn't have the, they just didn't have the right look. And there's someone with like really weird short hair that looks like someone's mum from nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, it's just really, really strange. So they're all telling this story, and then obviously a hand pops up, and so a girl says, "No, this is what really happened." And then we realise that it's Brenda, so yeah. she survived; she's still alive. Um, and that's how the film ends with a little cheeky wink. That's fun. It's good, like um, not like sequel bait, but I like when it could have been sequel bait, but I like that kind of um, yeah. It's not over. End into a horror film. I think it's just fun. Yeah, no, completely. I, I like it. So, yeah, looking back on it, I really enjoyed it more than I thought it would. And so it came out off the back of Scream and Scream 2. So it was obviously always going to be compared to those. And it, I think it suffered because of that. I think it was still quite successful at the box office. So it, go, it grossed 72 million worldwide on a budget of 14 million. So it was a hit. Mm-hmm. But the reviews were all pretty negative. And people said it was, you know, it was by the numbers and all this sort of stuff. I think this has just aged so much better than what you think. Well, for me personally, and I know you'll probably disagree because I know how much you love Scream, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, think, I, I think the fact that it's a straight-up slasher, whether it's, whether it's uninspired or not, for me, that ages better than the meta stuff of Scream. It I probably feel like... ages better, yeah. I think, yeah. um, like, Scream 2 has got a similar setting. It's on a campus, a big gothic campus, isn't it? And it's, But it's a two-hour film with, like, at least half an hour of it is padding. Whereas, yeah. this, that's for me personally, whereas this film just doesn't waste any time. It just motors through. Um, I have a similar relationship with the Scream films as I do with, with Quentin Tarantino 
in that I feel like they were important films to be made and that they are good films as well. But often now I would rather watch the films that they're riffing on than them. Yeah. yeah. Because there's a purity and an authenticity to those films as opposed to the sort of there's something a bit there's something a bit smug about about yeah. the humour in Scream and Scream Two um, and the Tarantino films. There's something a bit smug and a bit a bit knowing. You know like you we know, like know a, what we're doing. We're clever because we yeah. made this joke. Look how clever we are. Yeah, and I know that's the fun of them, and I know that's what people who like them like about them. But for me, that doesn't age the way the films mm-hmm. that they're based on age. So, like, you can watch this film and say, "Oh, this is a slasher movie," and it's got really shit moments that you laugh at, but it's got really good moments as well. Yeah. I feel like for me, that's that's a purer horror experience than watching something that takes the piss out of them a little bit. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's, um, and like, I don't like the smugness in Scream, and I can understand that as a criticism, but I think it's just, it's one that, it's close to my heart, and it works really well, and I like all the films that then come from it. Yeah. Like, that, that inspires this, like, period is all because of Scream. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I like that you get films like this, which are just, they're just great, and they're not the most inspired things in the world, but they're fucking good fun. They are a lot of fun, definitely. And I think you get some really good cheese moments. I, and I'm sorry, that um, pool scene has actually gone up as one of my favourite moments in horror at the moment. <laughs> 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 just for sheer ridiculousness. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a good laugh. So I'm looking forward to... I've never bothered with the sequels, so I'm looking forward to the, the new... Yeah blu-ray box set that's coming out because that's got to, that's my excuse to watch the sequels so andy roberts who guests on mainly on sleazy queens spin-offs with me he's written the the booklet uh some liner notes for the booklet for that box set so i'm looking forward to chatting to him about that's it so, so i'll drop that in here as well if people want to find you online are you back on twitter i am back on twitter now. so hd 99 thank you so much for being back with us Stephen, and um i look forward to our next 90s outing I can't wait. Bye. Bye. So, as a nice little epilogue to this urban legend, I thought I would give us an extra little nugget of horror in the form of a chat with a friend of mine who is a regular guest on Sleazy Queens, our spin-off show. And he recently was asked to provide liner notes for the new Urban Legend 88 Films Blu-ray box set release. Please say hello to Andy Roberts. Hello, Andy. Hello, John. But yes, I've, I'm contributing an essay to the to go in the collector's booklet that will come with it. Which is why I thought it was the most perfect time to talk to you because obviously me and Stephen have spent an hour and a bit discussing the first of the Urban Legend films. So mm-hmm. I thought, what better person to talk to than somebody who's contributing to this new release so mm. eight films putting it out on blu-ray so when will that be out um so it, it was originally coming out the very end of march but they pushed it it's yeah. now the new release dates are 19th of april 2021 so not right. too much longer to wait really a little, two and a half weeks well yes i mean by the time i get this out it'll probably only be a week away as well so that's you know extra, extra yeah fun. yeah um so what made you the man for the job to to write about urban legend well i'm not sure if there's anything particular about me that they they wanted but i i remember when i first got into the the chat about it 
um, I remember that I'd seen Urban Legend, you know, a, a long time ago, and I'm a huge fan of slashers anyway. And this was obviously coming out in the post-screen like yeah. era where, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek, more clever, intelligent kind of takes on the on the formula were becoming more popular. Yeah. And I just thought I could maybe just write something about it. You know, I thought I could do it some justice. And I was talking to the, the uh, one of the guys who does some of the collector's stuff for 88 Films, that um, Dave Wayne, I believe, yeah. who... Um, Oh yeah, I follow Dave on Twitter. Yes, on. yeah, he's um he's got he's he's got like one of the last bastions of kind of uh, uh, rental DVDs. <laughs> he's got like a shop that actually rents out DVDs. It's in the middle of the uh, the Wirral somewhere. That's um, I know. I'd love to. I'd, I'm going to go there as soon as like the whole restrictions are lifted because I just like I've seen footage of it. <laughs> I've seen I've seen pictures of the place and it looks like a sort of you know a, a horror film fans like you know. Aladdin's yeah. Grotto type thing. It looks yeah. really, really good. Amazing. So we were just talking about uh, about it, and I think I just I just felt a little bit gutsy, and I just kind of said, "Yeah, would would you would you sort of give give me a chance?" Um, and I sent him some of the stuff I'd done for Horrified, and he just said, "Yeah, do you know what? Go for it." You know, he said, "I like the I like your style. I like the way that it sounds, and yeah. you know, you sort of know what you're talking about." So yeah, I'm happy to to let you come up with something. That's brilliant. Yeah, so it was just just me being gutsy, really, and just yeah. uh, just asking the question. So well, I mean, that's the only way. Do you know what I mean? That's that's the only way we ever make things happen as creative people. You mm. know, people aren't bang, you know people aren't always going to be banging on your door saying, "Please come and write for us." A lot of the time, you do have to just put yourself out there. So it's really it's really commendable that you did it. And look, you know, look where it got you. It's, it's, I know, it's, I know. That's what I mean. It's it, it shocked me to be honest for a yeah. bit. Yeah. So, so how how would you sum up? Um, urban legends as a series then because i only know the first film mm. so um how does it progress i mean i know there's how many are there all together three or four so this this there's three there were there was a planned fourth one i believe but um Amazing. i think uh something to do with the rights issues i think the fourth one actually just got released as something else entirely even though it still has some of the same sort of things about it yeah um i think it's called golden something i think i seem to remember but um but yeah there's there's three altogether the um so am i right in thinking that the second one didn't get a theatrical release it was like straight to dvd at the time i think so i think it came out in 2000 so it was it was it was in that era where you know a director video was becoming again a more viable option yeah um I don't think it did have a theatrical release. Yeah, I think you might be right with that one. Yeah. Of course, the sec the second one carried on the sort of the same sort of formula. I think in the first film, where it's a a, a bit of a grounded slasher type thing around um, uh, an in, an education institution, but then in this one, it's a it's a film school. Wow. So it kind of it's it's kind of a bit of a riff, I suppose, on the Scream Three thing that was going around of like the movie within a movie right, type thing yeah, going on. Yeah. But of course, it still keeps that that um, whole theme of referring to various urban legends and that yeah. sort of thing. So my uh, my big my the thing I took away from watching the first one this time was that I feel like it's actually aged quite well. Yeah, I'd say fun. so. Because I remember when when it first came out, I did enjoy it for all of its, you know, it's quite cheesy in a way. Mm. Uh, I, I enjoyed all that about it, but I remember a lot of the reviews used that against it in a way, and it wasn't really very well received at the time. So I mm. think it's sort of it's it's got this um it, it's got this reputation for for not being 
very good. It's got this reputation for being a bit more of a um, a, a sort of cheap rip off of, of the Scream films. Whereas, so when I went in to watch it again, I haven't not seen it for probably a good 10, 15 years. Mm. I really wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Mm. I think that probably that probably explains some of why it's deemed as popular enough to get a, a Blu-ray release through 88. I think so. Well, it's, um, I, I, I feel something quite similar because I remember watching it as a kid and I remember sort of liking it, but not liking it massively. Yeah. I think because I think most of the, you know, most of the innuendo and like the, the sort of, um, the, the cheesiness and like the in jokes, like the, the, the references, you know, to urban legends itself. I didn't get any of that. I just felt yeah. that it was a slasher film. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I didn't like it because for me it was like a slasher film which wasn't particularly graphic and didn't have a particularly um, massive focus on special effects necessarily. Yeah. But I think definitely like what you said, watching it recently, it's made me realize that actually there was so much more, so much going on in it, and actually, and the performances are still like really pretty damn good, especially um, Rebecca Gayhart. You know, she <laughs> yeah, she she right. steals <laughs> she steals that film completely. Really um, yeah, but um, yeah, it's definitely aged well, like very much so. Going into the second one, how does it mm. stand up to the original? So the second one, I think it definitely tries to it tries to emulate the whole the slasher scenario within that that's based on urban legends. I don't think it succeeds as much as the first one. I think obviously because you know you can't really just replicate an entire movie and just swap yeah. swap the bodies around. I mean, unless you're Friday the Thirteenth, and even that could only go on for so long. But yeah, um, yeah. the second one tries to be a little bit more meta. I think with the concept, you know, of having the film within a film type yeah. scenario. So there's a bit more of a playful attitude that way. It's certainly not a bad film, though. I, you certainly can't criticize it for being bad necessarily. It's just not as effective as the first one, but it's still got its it's still got its moments. You know, it's it's certainly not dismissible at, at any rate. Do any of the cast from the original move over into the sequel? Do, they, do any of them come back? Yes, I think the um, oh, I can't remember her name. The, the security guard lady, the one who tries oh, yeah. to say, yeah, she. Well, that's a divine, so she's in the sequel. That's it. Yeah, she she turns up at the beginning as a sort of slight bit of connective tissue because she actually starts off the um, the main character's interest in the film in in urban legends because she tells her about the events of the first movie, but the main character begins to think, well, that's surely just an urban legend, you know, and it starts her all interest off. So the events of the first movie, in, in effect, kind of inspire the themes of the second one. Yeah. So it's, but it's, it's no more, t it's a little bit tenuous, really. It's only really that, though, that connects the two films together. Yeah, yeah. No, very interesting, yes, because um, I think... Probably a little bit of snobbishness in me at the time was probably like, well, if it's gone straight to video, I'm not sure it's going to be that great, which I think is often a mistake that we make, isn't it? You know, I think. Well, yes, um, I think it's like you said because there's there's an automatic. Well, if it can't get a theatrical release, then there's an automatic implication that the quality is lesser because it won't be successful in the in a theatrical run. But I think we're, we're proven time and time again, that that's not necessarily an indication of anything, is it? Yeah. It just means that the company wasn't willing to push forward, you know, with a, with a theatrical release, which, you know, in some cases it doesn't work. You know, it, it, it should have been a theatrical release, but then in others it's like, well, yes, you know, it, it sort of, it probably belongs in this category really. But, um, yeah, I, to be honest, I probably agree with it going directly to video because 
as much as the the first one is is genuinely good, the second one is is more of it, but just not as good. So yeah. I can sort of see why they went that route. Have you got um, so going back to the first one? Have you got a favorite kill or a favorite urban legend that that's covered in that? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, um, I mean, I, I love the the phone call at the beginning where the, yeah. one of the students thinks that you know if she drinks lots of cum that she's going to need her stomach pumped because <laughs> I I thought that was going to be an interesting sort of twist later on, but no, alas, absolutely <laughs> goals. I think probably the probably my favorite kill because I remember it the most as a kid is when um, the main character comes back home. And her roommate is being murdered in the bed next to her. Yeah. And obviously, because yeah. of the really serendipitous advice of you know not you know don't interrupt me while I'm screwing somebody, she ends up leaving the light off. And you know, because I just think that would be absolutely horrifying to experience in real life. The fact that there was a killer in the room, killed your friend, and you didn't like save them at all, and you wake up to just a mess afterwards. I think yeah. there's something just so horrendous about that i was the back of danielle harris as well i always i always i completely forgot until i saw her name on the credits this time i didn't realize at all until i watched it uh, like recently like didn't didn't even recognize danielle harris as a child so yeah yeah i thought it was really interesting i feel like it was she she sort of kept being given these sorts of roles when i'd like to have actually seen her Playing mm. the leads, I'd like to have seen her playing the Alicia Witt role. Really, yeah, I think she just embraced her like sort of um, cult status at that point. Though, and she's like, "Well, you know, I'm going to be asked to do lots of horror. I might as well just take anything I can." Yeah. I think the most interesting bit about her character, though, is that I think some somewhere I've read that her character was meant to be bitchier than she is, oh. <laughs> and I was like, "How on earth could you make her more bitchy? <laughs> like, she doesn't do anything <laughs> like even remotely pleasant." Well, the whole not, thing. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't actually think I'd describe it as bitchy. She's just sort of sullen and, and grouchy more than <laughs> anything. The, bit, the bitchiness comes from the other people around her. That, like, there's like a random girl who just fucking hates her. Yeah. Makes jokes about the <laughs> after she's been murdered and stuff. I've had the bitchy, the bitchiness is actually probably directed more at her. <laughs> like, Developed a thick skin, this thick goth skin to fight back against her. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least they didn't give her a breakfast club sort of, um, yeah. What's the word? Uh, like redemption at the end. You know, at least, at least, at least she was killed before they got to do that to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, my favourite moment of the film is probably the opening. Um, I, I do love that whole. You know, someone's in the back seat. That's like a really classic urban legend. Oh it? yes, yeah. Because because it's such a. I think it's such a uh, a common fear. I think yeah. that the safety of your car is is violated by someone who's just sitting there. Yeah. It's yeah, it's that's I mean it is a very urban fear, you know, very common modern fear. Yeah, totally. And the second one, um what sort of what what's the best urban legend slash kill? Well to be honest, I think um the one I remember most from the second one is actually the first the first one. Because I think there's there's a moment where someone it, someone gets drugged and they wake up in a bathtub and uh, I think their kidneys actually been cut out of them and they're just like half drugged you know like in pain and they're trying to stumble out of this horrible grouty like bathtub yeah. uh, but i i think that's probably the one i remember the most the yeah. killer the killer though is relatively memorable he has um uh he has the killer has a face uh that was it, a fencing mask oh wow. Okay. yeah um 
it's it was done slightly before in uh, graduation day have you ever seen graduation day no i've never watched it never no, that's watched. a that's that's a slasher film from the early 80s you know when yeah. it was dead popular but the killer in that has a fencing mask but it's done a bit more effectively i'd say in this one um because yeah. it's quite a quite a an awful image you know like just a faceless visor pretty much but um okay. so so he's, so he's again it's a relatively memorable uh killer as well because the the parker uh jacket in the first one is also pretty iconic it is yeah but i've, I've always been more for masks than anything so i feel like i'll probably get more on board with the fencing mask in the sequel yeah um, it's made me yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it because as i say never i've never got around to watching any of the sequels so i'm really happy that this box set's coming out and i'm mm. glad to see that your writing is involved in it as well so that's april the 19th that's out so i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to grabbing a copy of that yeah my so my t- uh, my essay is called the old wife's tale that went viral okay. <laughs> Con- contemporary folklore and its presence in horror cinema so it talks a little bit about how urban legends have kind of informed the way we do horror films all throughout history so oh that's cool so it sort of goes a bit beyond this this particular film franchise as well then yeah so obviously it does talk about it talks about this film in quite a big chunk and um well the films should we say all three but um but it definitely i i go back a little towards the beginning of where we actually started using urban legends as our inspirations for for films and then i go up all the way to the modern era because you know there's there's still plenty of things that happen today that are basically urban legends and yeah. th- they they're always going to be a part of our of our society and our culture so yeah so it's a bit of a bit of a all the way to the back and beyond sort of thing really that sounds great it sounds really interesting uh look forward to reading it i mean that sounds that's that's as good a reason to pick up the box set as the films as far as i'm concerned <laughs> my bad time well, reading well i wouldn't go that far but... <laughs> <laughs> my bad time reading that's some, you know that's one of my habits you know if i watch if i buy like a new box set or whatever with stuff i want to read in it i'll watch the film and then i'll take the booklet up to bed with me and read, <laughs> read oh yeah yeah i think i think you have to nowadays yeah. with the with the really nice sleek and lovely collector's editions that we have i think it's it's a shame not to just treat it so lovingly and like just examine every single you know piece of it that yeah there's a reason why unboxing videos are so popular now yeah so i still can't quite get my head around watching a video i I can't but i i think i think if there was a particular collector's edition of a film that i really wanted to see what was in it beforehand yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure I've clicked on unboxing videos. Oh, fair enough, I've yeah. I'd never, yeah. And I would never, ever judge you for that either. <laughs> not to your faith, anyway. No, not uh, to. Oh, that, well, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, no, that's really cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Andy, thank you for jumping on and talking to us. And, um, yeah, looking forward to, to reading the essay and seeing the films and expanding my knowledge on Urban Legends. What, no problem. Uh, thank you for having me. Where can people get you on Twitter? So I am at Rackety Esprus, or you can, yes, yeah, I know it's, it's a bit, bit of a weird one, but, um, or you can check out my podcast on uh, at Nasty Pasty Pod. And, uh, but uh, there's no update since last time. So I know it, you know, I'm pretty sure every, all my fans are clamoring at my door waiting for me to, to get a new episode out. I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> going to be a riot sometime soon. Oh, absolutely. We'll have to oh, get. Well, yes. what, what I will say to your fans, though, is if they haven't, if they're missing your voice and they haven't noticed in the last few months, you've been quite regular, quite a regular guest on Sleazy Queen's spin off from, from Screaming Queens. So go back and listen to some of those where we've talked about everything from, Caligula to um, Top Sensation. Yeah, we've done uh, Play Motel. Yes, 
yeah. we've we've done a lot, and yeah, and we always seem to have that unfortunate circumstance where there always seems to be an animal thrown in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you just can't seem can't seem to get away from it. No, no, you just can't swing a cat without sucking off a horse, you know. <laughs> and on that note, yes, <laughs> thanks for thanks, Auntie. Speak to you soon. Thanks, John. Bye bye.